Hey, I'm MJ Taller, also known as a black wine guy. I went from being a totally obsessed wine newbie to becoming the world's first ever African-American fine and rare wine auctioneer in less than three years. In this show, I'll be talking to the mavericks, the philosophers, the players, and the deep thinkers who inhabit the world of wine. They'll share their experiences on how they made it, but more importantly, how they failed and got back up again. So grab a glass and let's get to it. This is the Black Wine Guy Experience. Hey everybody, what's up? It's your boy MJ. Welcome to a very special, crazy impromptu edition of the Black Wine Guy Experience because I am in Walla Walla for the uh, Celebrate Merlot Festival and my good friend Kerry Alexander is like, you gotta meet this guy, Mark Leahy, over at Dylan Cellars. Um, he makes incredible wine. Uh, he's so under the radar. He doesn't submit for scores. We'll get into that. Um, we're gonna get into his story. Um, so, my guest today is Mark Leahy. Uh, Mark Leahy is a husband, he's a father, he's a business owner, and he is a winemaker. Um, Mark uh, got into wine in 1995, 1998 through his older brother. Um, then he got more seriously into it back in 2005 when he moved back to Seattle. And then in 2009, he says, I kind of fell in love with wine in Woodenville, which is like which was and still kind of the capital of wine here in Washington State, and uh, got the bug, and uh, we're gonna get into his story. Uh, so, welcome, Mark. Thank you, thank you for having me. Um, tell everybody about the wines. I've never had your wines before, I'm super excited. What wines are you pouring for me today? This here is my second vintage of Weather Eye Viognier. Um, some of the people that you've interviewed work with Weather Eye. Um, really cool. Uh, newish project over on the top of Red Mountain. Um, this particular block of Viognier is farmed a little more traditionally. I have another block of Viognier that is farmed a little bit more, say, heroically. Mm -hmm. It is, um, each vine has its own post, it's on echelon, so it is a little bit harder to farm that fruit. That goes into a different bottling. This is farmed more traditionally. This goes into this bottling. Very cool, very cool. And so, um, man, I like to start at the beginning. So, uh, where'd you grow up? I grew up, uh, I grew up in Connecticut. Born in New York, grew up in Connecticut. Okay, so let's unpack Connecticut because I have strong ties to Connecticut. Uh, my wife, born, raised, lived in New Haven, Connecticut oh, wow. until 2016 when she moved to New Jersey. Okay. I met her because I went to Southern Connecticut State University. Okay. So where in Connecticut are you from? Oh boy, yeah. So <laughs> uh, my dad was working in the city back in the day and so we, I grew up in coastal Connecticut at town called Greenwich. I said he's. Yeah. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> Coast Beat okay. around the bush. I know. I know. Yeah. Um, Dad made some money for a few years. No, now. there's nothing wrong with that, man. Um, my, it's interesting. My wife, her best friend, uh, is and we're roommate college was from Greenwich. Oh, wow. And interesting story was my wife grew up in New Haven uh, in like the poor part of town, like Ferry Street, you know, uh, the rough part of town. And so she's going to Southern, her roommate is from Greenwich, so she had all these conceptions about her. Her, her friend, you know, her father was like a custodian with the city of Greenwich, so that's like kind of okay. how, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. you know. So, so, but um, yeah, no, Greenwich is a really cool place, it is coastal. Um, uh, <laughs> I love this, I, sure, yeah. I don't have a yacht. Or I, I, don't, <laughs> I don't 
don't even have boat shoes. You, know, so. you, you don't have uh, what is uh, top siders? No, you know? no, no. Yes. Uh, you don't have a pair of blukers? <laughs> I don't even know what they are. Oh my god. Um, it's a it's a comfortable shoe made for yachting. Oh. Um, and I'm here with the polo shirt on, so uh, right. uh, yeah. So did you go to did you go to uh, is point, did you go to um, private schools or did you go to like Greenwich public school system? Public school system, uh, Greenwich is a big enough town that there were, like you said, there were kids who had, uh, say, a normal-ish mm -hmm. upbringing. I was somewhere in the middle. Uh, my parents left there when I was about 18. Um, I did too, pretty much. Um, and you can never go home again. That place is very different than it was when I grew up. That's a fact, because I, um, I grew up in the Jersey Shore. You know, people have certain ideas about Jersey Shore, particularly because of that stupid TV show. Sure. Um, and it was like a small little beach town. And, uh, you know, I moved back in 2016 because we were living in New Haven and my mom was going to sell our house. And, 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 like, I don't live in Long Branch anymore. I, you know, I lived through, it was just so different. I mean, money came in, and there's not, I, nothing wrong with money, but, um, you know, Jared Kushner bought up the waterfront and, right. like, yeah. We went from like a little beach town to there's high rises on the beach and just too much traffic and yeah. just fucking assholes. Yeah, you know, you know, yeah, you know. So yeah, like, so like, like Greenwich when you were growing up was it might have been one way, but then like you know people get money and they move out to Greenwich and then they think they have to live a certain way and it just changes the whole energy. So I get it, I totally get it. Um, you went off to school when you're 18. Where'd you go? To, where'd you go to school? I started at the University of Richmond. Nice. I uh, didn't last. It was a little too. Um, Different than I thought it was Southern. Be. I was gonna say a whole bunch of stuff. I'm trying not to. No, no, really. no it's, 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 I mean, this is the podcast. Confederate I mean, flags and stuff just like threw me big time. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I happened to get blackballed from the entire fraternal system for uh, things that I probably shouldn't get into, and so that set the tone. And I was just like, I'm not ready for college, and I left. Yeah. So. Yeah. I had uh, another guest on. Um, she's a chef, and. She, uh, she was where she wasn't from down south, but she went. She, oh yeah, she was Rochester. They're followers of Kodak. Okay, back in the day, black woman, Chef Time, shout out. And she was saying she went to UVA. No, oh, great school. Yeah, but same thing. Like when people were people were tripping, and when you know, was a couple years ago when the protesters with their tiki torches and running people over. But oh, yeah. I, I have Richmond's a great city. But it was the, the capital of the Confederacy, and it's the South, so Confederate flags are just, they're a part of life down there, Yeah, you know? And, and if, if you come from a place where you're not used to it, Coastal and, Connecticut, and, and, <laughs> Coastal Connecticut <laughs> this ginger white guy coming down there telling these guys what to do, yeah. must have been interesting. Didn't fly. Yeah, didn't fly. <laughs> you guys need to be more progressive. <laughs> um, but it's, a, I mean, beautiful, it's a beautiful campus, beautiful you know, school. Yeah, beautiful people. Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, it was interesting. And, a different version of me, maybe it would have worked. Yeah. So you uh, left after that one semester or one year? I stuck it out for a whole year. Okay. Yeah. Um, there's a whole load of other stories that go there, but um, it just wasn't a good experience. And I needed to get out and figure out what the heck I want to do with my life. It was too soon for me to be picking a major and all that stuff. And so I left. I moved to Seattle for the first time right around then. That was like 1995 or so. And then... Um, Eventually went back to school at UConn. And okay. Graduated from there. Stores. Yeah. Another different place. Like stores out in the country, people. Farm country. <laughs> it's farm country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, couple things. Wine's beautiful. It's very. 
I was reading, I was on your website. It, it really has like you, you're, you're, you're more the austere, you're more the, the harmony. A little bit, yeah. yeah. More about balance. Yeah. Um, I like my wines to have power, not be dominated by power. You know, it's that understated power, elegance, you know, focusing more on perfume than like tannic grip, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so Yukon, you go to Yukon, um, and who was the big basketball star? The girls team was great, right? I was, girls and guys. Yeah. We won the national championship the year I graduated. Okay, I thought I so. was really hoping you weren't going to ask me because I can't remember any of the players. If you name them, I'll remember the names. So what year was this? 19, uh, when did I graduate? 1999. Okay. I graduated. So possibly that could have been the Kevin Ollie era. Remember there was, oh man, I'm, I, uh, it'll take me a minute uh, to remember. Well, I haven't thought so about this in a long time, 20 years probably. Uh, what, what year is that, 99? 99. Yeah, we won the national championship, we played Duke. Um, it was, yeah, it was awesome. I mean, the kids ended up rampaging all over campus and causing a lot of I damage. I mean, but. yeah, it was. You totally had, oh yeah, that was a good one. 77 to 74, that was a close game. And, oh yeah, Khalid Al Ramin, the, the point guard, who was nasty, who was kind of like stocky and kind of yeah, Kevin Freeman, yeah. yeah, Richard Hamilton. Yes, yeah, 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 you had Rip. Yeah, you guys had Rip. Yeah. Wow. Okay, so let's see, because I, I went Jake to- Jake Volko, Vosko, what the heck was his name? Yeah, then? Jake, Jake Volko. Big tall white dude. Yeah, yeah, Jake Vosko, yeah. yep. Yeah. Uh, the only one who, Rip Hamilton actually, I think he might even won um, with the Detroit Pistons. Um, he was great. Was he the one that, there was one of the guys that was like married and had a kid and some of the opposing play uh, teams would like- Oh, and that shit's fucked up. Mess I know, him. man. Some of those guys are brutal. Cool. Yeah. Some of that shit is brutal. Um, I forget who was, uh, I was watching a sports soccer game. Someone was telling a story. Um, oh, oh, it was at Duke. Oh, I think it was Duke was, oh, Duke. Was Duke playing Georgetown or Michigan? Oh, no. Football. Miami University. I, they were playing Notre Dame. Oh, boy. And they were calling them convicts. And I mean, like, college sports in the 90s. That is was, Miami, though. Yeah, I mean, it was really <laughs> volatile. <laughs> yeah, my brother went to Notre Dame, and so he has firm opinions on all these subjects. <laughs> but I think, I, the reason why I bring it up is I think it's cool because, like, you go to college, right, and, like, so I went to Southern, I started at a school called Monmouth near me and had some issues and ended up transferred. Um, and uh, I went to Southern. Southern had a really good soccer team, but you know, like the Southern in Fairfield. It's in New Haven. Oh, it's in New Haven. Yeah. Right. So Southern's New Haven, uh, Western's Danbury, Eastern's Willimantic, and Central is um, New Britain. Um, but Southern won the Division Two soccer championship the two years I was there, and they were like the number one team in college. Like I think they beat like UCLA. Even though they beat Rutgers, like yeah. they were really good. And a bunch of those guys been playing in the MLS. Um, uh, but anyway, but it was soccer, man. It was not basketball. Yes. It's not a marquee sport. Did you go to games? Did you go to? We um, went, I, I slept out. I got tickets. We went to some games. I sold some of my tickets <laughs> by beer or whatever. But. He was a very enterprising young man back in the day. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and, and then also not to leave it out, the girls' team had, was on their streak of winning like uh, <laughs> winning like every championship every year. Oh my god! Yeah, the girls' team yeah. is even. Is I mean. 
so dominant, um, which is makes for a fun college experience, I think, when you have like, yeah, you know, um, we and I've been a part of you, Kyle, yeah, um, so good times, and so what you majored in, you said, I was pre med, uh, I was going to become a naturopathic physician. Um, so I went through the entire pre-med, organic chemistry, inorganic chemistry, microbiology, all that stuff. Um, and close to the end of my uh, college career, I realized that I don't think I want to be a naturopath. Um, actually, after ta talking to a few different naturopaths and how much of a struggle it was for them, I was like, good Lord, uh, I still got to go to med school. And so I took some time off to figure out what I wanted to do with myself yet again. Yeah. You know, it's kind of a theme in my youth is I did a lot of that. Good for you. Um, your mother was in kind of in that field, is that correct? She's an herbalist. Okay. Yeah, she was an herbalist. She's not practicing anymore. So I'm sure that played a big role um, there. I just like the idea of um, helping people, but not maybe through like traditional uh, Western medicine means. Mm -hmm. um, and it's still something that appeals to me. I do have visions of eventually doing some kind of like uh, Kinato kind of based herbal wine that might kind of riff on my previous experiences. Um, hasn't happened yet. Yeah, that's, that's cool though. Um, and if you're figuring yourself out and you mentioned that was the first time you moved to Seattle. Why? Yeah, my sister lived in Seattle. She left Boston College in like, God knows, 88 or something like that she moved out there so she had like an established sort of safe place for me yeah because uh, I was in Connecticut moving all the way to Seattle was kind of a big deal that but uh, I, I went there um, Seattle was a super different town back then and um, it was more of a town than a like bustling metropolitan city than yeah. it is now yeah yeah um, and just kind of got whatever job I could to kind of figure it out as I was going and then eventually my parents kind of gave me a ultimatum like uh, if you want us to help you pay for college you got to go back yeah and so I went back to UConn at that point so um, <clears throat> I love this I love um, what you said about we're talking about how if you can't go home how things change like when I talk to people from who lived in Seattle in the 90s um, <clears throat> you know um, or Portland, pre, yeah. you know what I mean? Or, um, I, I don't know, I, I went to law school, so I went to Rutgers Law School and knew I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I decided to finish anyway. And I remember there was this guy, Garth, who was from Texas, he was from law, I went to UT and he was like, I know you're a New York guy, but you gotta go to Austin, you'll love it. Yeah. And I went to Austin for the first time, and so this was like, I graduated in 96, this was probably like 94, 95, he said go to Austin. I went in 2015, so was that 20 years later? I loved it, but here's the thing. This was even pre like Tim Ferriss and like, it was still quasi affordable in 2015, by yeah. 20. That's when, but, that was when that ended. Yes, <laughs> yeah. But like, had I went to Austin in 95 when he said, I probably would have moved there and you could have got a house there for like $100,000, man. Like, yeah, it, I did it. Yeah. I lived in Austin. Yeah, right? So I lived there for a year in like 2000. My buddy bought a house for like 137k yep, or something like that. Yep. It's now a million dollar uh, home. Yeah, he's since moved to a condo. He's since sold that. He's in commercial real estate. He's yeah. doing just fine. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. these cities, the story of these cities that around the country that we, were, you know, we're East Coast guys. So you, you're Greenwich. So when you're in Greenwich, you're a New York kid. 
I'm a Jersey, yeah. you're in New York. Like, yeah. New York is your city. Yeah. You know, you're not like, let's go to Stanford. <laughs> no, no, the vibe was, yeah, yeah, definitely infected by the New York City. Right. Vibe. And even when I was in law infected. school. Um, Philadelphia. I went to law school down in South Jersey, Camden. Philadelphia was just still just like you could have bought shit in Philadelphia for like fifty, brownstone oh, for like twenty five. I mean, hell yeah. But it was it was so gully and gritty, and I just wanted to be in New York. You know, uh, yeah. have you have crystal ball forecast out, buy some real estate like your friend. Shoot. What are we doing here? Talk about wine. It turns into a real estate Let's podcast. Go into real estate. <laughs> yeah, you got you already first. But I, but it is, there is this theme of like. Like these, they're, they're, you're so when you're from New York, you're like you so you think it's all about New York, and there's these other cities that have incredible scenes going on. Yeah, you know, you call it the city when you live there. It's the city. Yeah. There's no other. There's city. no city. Yeah, exactly. You know, and people in LA try that, but it's just not the same. No. Um, but yeah, I mean, in, in fact, like I would say that New York, that vibe impacted my early, like probably up until my mid twenties, mm-hmm. because. It was all about, say, money or success or power or yep. whatever it is. That whole vibe was there then. It is there now. Um, and it took a while for me to get out from underneath that mm-hmm. um, to then try to explore all these other things that you can do with your life. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be an MBA or a law school degree. Yep. Exactly. That's, that was because that's what people did. Everybody knew it was going to grad school of some sort. So I was yeah. like, I've got to take one of these fucking tests yeah. and, and, you know, and, and go into more debt. <laughs> Yeah. Um, <laughs> finally got out from me that shit. It did not oh, go good. well. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Finally, yeah, a couple years ago. But I digress on that one. Yeah, <laughs> you know, another conversation. Yeah, um, but it is true. It does inform, you know. Um, and so you, you grab you could, so then you go back to Seattle. Why did you go back to Seattle? Why didn't you stay? So I ended up living in Seattle three times before wow. we left for the final time, so far at least. Um, I lived there in like 99-ish, mm-hmm. I lived there again in like 2002-ish, and then again in uh, 2005. Um, I, I liked a lot of things about Seattle. It hadn't changed a lot in that little period of time from when I first moved to when I moved back. No. Uh, it was still the same city, uh, even though, you know, when you're young, you think four years is a long time. It oh takes, my God. Sometimes it takes longer than that for really change to really manifest in a city. Yep. But going from when I first moved there to now. It's different. Okay. I can't, I, I, yeah, I mean, it's, I love so many things about that city and you can still find pockets that mm-hmm. are like super amazing, Alki Beach and that whole like, all the waterfront at access and everything that you get on the south end of Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it's it's not a place that I can see myself living in at the moment. Right, so. gotcha, 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 gotcha. Holy shit, okay, I was just making sure we are recording. <laughs> I was like, this is gold, we're good. The red light is on. So. All right, just to, for to be fair, this like I said, this I'm excited. Mark's a totally cool guy, but it was last minute. This came together like literally in the past 48 hours, and you know I was up at 3:42 East time to get to the airport. Yeah, yeah. so I just want to make sure it's, it was on, and you guys can laugh about it because that's what we do on the Black Wine Guy Experience. Um, so you're figuring stuff out. You're moving around. Um, how does like how does it come about that you how would you end up in uh, yeah tell us about falling in love with wine you said something about your brother you've kind of got yeah, into wine because so your brother he was work he took over uh, working at a company he was in like the you know he was CFO or something like that and his boss um, was big into wine but like the Camus yeah that, Phelps and Signia, all that stuff, like yeah. the 
sort of iconic wines of back then at least. And um, that was probably my introduction to the fact that wine could be two, three, four, five hundred dollars a bottle. Yeah. Um, and I was drinking wine, but like, and wine was in my youth. Mm -hmm. I, like my dad always, <laughs> my dad only drinks Chardonnay. <laughs> And That's it's awesome. really odd. Like I try and get him to try <laughs> Viognier's and Semillons and Chenin Blancs, and I, and he's just like, it's good. It's just not Chardonnay. So does because discerning palate. I mean, was he there's some white burgundy at least? Uh, I poured I poured him some, but he then now he's in more like econo mode, and he's like, it's too expensive for me. Don't you know? I I just like what I like, and so I mean, he's 85. Oh God bless him. <laughs> good for you, Dad. So, but he's, he's been drinking pops. Chardonnay for. 60 something. There years. might be an elixir. There might be a record. Yeah, there might be something. There might be something. There might be something said about the 12 to $15 <laughs> range of Chardonnay. We need to, we need to, we need to, we need to have a study commission. <laughs> yeah. Nice. Um, uh, so, so there was wine in, in the house, but then, yeah, I mean, that's one of the things a lot of people I've met, I don't know if a lot, but you know, five, um, who were in finance, that, a lot of stuff they got into wine because they, they, they had an expense account. They had to take people out to dinner, so they started to learn about wine. So, yeah. and, and, it, and they all do start like with Camus, because it's the most like, expensive thing. You go to a restaurant, it's the most expensive thing in a steakhouse. Yeah. You know, steakhouse wine. Okay. And, and, and uh, to be fair, people shouldn't wine. You know what, the wine, I don't, I don't know what they put in it, but the shit always tastes good, so, you know. Can't it's flavorful, it. you they can't, sell I mean, a lot of it. And they're fucking, for all you struggling winemakers like mine, I'm gonna say you're struggling, but, the Wagners know how to fucking sell shit exactly. for like they could put the over a hundred million dollars oh, yeah. a pop. I think they sold Naomi for like four hundred. Yeah, that was like four hundred shit. Yeah. yeah, that's crazy money. It's stupid money. Yeah, I'm not in that realm. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but um, so that's kind of was your start. So your brother was was through his boss, kind of. Yeah, and uh, it didn't really go uh, much further than just me sort of um, drinking cheap wine on weekends or whatever and uh, trying to elevate my game. Mm -hmm. Eventually, it got to a point where, um, you know, I had experimented with brewing and stuff in like high school, but uh, I came back to that in like the early 2000s, maybe, uh, late 90s. I'd have to pin that down, but um, sometime around 2003, probably. Okay. Started uh, kind of just playing with fermentation. So yep. it was uh, kombucha, kefir, mead, honey wine, um, beer, of course. Uh, and so it was just that sort of exploration that led me down this path. Kombucha in 99, man, you're way ahead of the curve with kombucha. I yeah, mean. I guess. I mean, is that probably something because like 2003, but yeah. I mean, even, yeah, yeah. yeah, I mean, I remember kombucha because I was on Calvin, really hitting around 08 with GTs, really, really started hitting. Maybe I but wouldn't it, make it. I mean, I no, you would make it. No, and I'm sure because okay. I would say that probably has to do with your mom being an herbalist. And, and, Could be. And understanding all how wacky stuff digestion. Yeah, yeah, yeah digest. You know, you know, because it's good for the digest system. But that's I forgot who else I had on. Uh, but they they start they fermentation. We're interested in fermentation. Yeah, like that's, even that's even 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 like bread. Like just understanding how yeast interacts with. I'm the, into that now. I wasn't into that. Yeah, then. but yeah, right. same thing. Sourdough starters. Yeah. Like, so that's cool. So you're you know you're you're. And yeah, when you you took kefir kombucha, that's some serious like crunchy granola health food shit. Uh, like uh, I was fermenting kimchi. Wow, I didn't even like it. Yeah. Really. <laughs> <laughs> it was more just like, how can I do this, and why is it happening? Right. And trying to understand, you know, using some of the scientific background from college, just trying to understand the science of it. 
Um, and then I would say that was that was pretty key between my brother and then the fermentation experimentation definitely are, are key points to where I'm at. And so, like, kind of what were you doing? I mean, you're, you're a young man, you, you did get your degree, um, and you're, you're moving around. Um, what were some of the jobs you had while you're, while you're figuring shit out and you're just tinkering? Oh my God. Uh, I mean, shit. everything. I, I worked at Subway. <laughs> you worked at Subway? <laughs> I worked at Starbucks. Uh, back in the day. I mean, that was like 1999 I was working at Starbucks. Um, I worked... Um, random, yeah. random jobs all over, but what's that? That's pre, that's, that's pre before, that's right around he started one to put one every corner. I mean, you're yeah, still, you're, you're, yeah, yeah, you're still, yeah, you're still, it was you're just on the cusp. Yeah, on the cusp, exactly. Yeah, 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 for sure. That's, that must be interesting. It was definitely, well, yeah, I was like a grunt, you know, yeah. I was working in the warehouse. And so that wasn't necessarily a career oriented <laughs> path. It was just, I needed money so I could live in Seattle. Um, then I started working in construction. I was, uh, yeah, I built log homes in Colorado. I Dude, you built log homes in Colorado. So would you go out there like, is it like being on a fishing boat in Alaska, you go out for a few months and build a house? Or did you actually live in Colorado for a second? Maybe? I did. I lived in Colorado in Colorado. Uh, I did, where the hell did I live? Um, Silverthorne, Colorado, near Breckenridge, et cetera. Uh-huh. Uh, built log homes for about a year. Um, and then... That's when I moved to Seattle for the second time. Okay. And then so I stayed in construction, did construction in Seattle. And then my brother, who was working this gig I was talking about, he was still doing that. And he was like, I need to save you from this path you're on. Come work for me. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, how did you, how did you, like, so my family, my grandfather was a, a mason and a contract. My family does a lot of that stuff. Okay. I did not want to do that shit. How did you? You got you grow up in I know. It's My a, dad yeah. was a uh, he had soft hands, yeah. and no no skills. Yeah. You know he could balance a, a, a whatever a balance sheet or something yeah. like that. He was a CIA. But he couldn't CEO. level a countertop. Right? Yeah, he couldn't. He just still can't. I mean, he always marvels if I can like change a light bulb. I mean, yeah. it's pretty. Uh, That's pretty interesting that you got like you got into like working with your hands so much. It's always been about working with my hands. Once I figured that out, I haven't really deviated from that. My brother tried to save me. Yeah. He got me into like marketing and sales and there were redeeming aspects, but mostly it was about money. Yeah. It was good pay. And then once I realized again that I was like killing myself slowly, I got out and I haven't really been back since. Okay. And so um, second time in Seattle, boom, boom, mess around fermentation. Um, what kind of was, what was like the light bulb moment where you, you kind of said, um, yeah, maybe, maybe I can do something with this. Um, so it was more like, uh, I went on a, so, okay, we're in 09, so 08, 09. Yeah, 08, 09. Kind of me takes a big dump. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, another opportunity for me, me to reevaluate my life, uh, I had tried to start a company that we don't need to get into. It was, but it was not related to like just making money. It was about uh, anyway. So no, no, come on. Anyway, here, here we, we go. Let's first. do it. Yeah, come let's on, do it. man. Like these, these, this, this is like this is why we're here. Like, it's a little bit of an aside, but like so, my brother-in-law, my wife's uh, brother, he's a beekeeper, and oh, wow. I fell in love with his honeys and and beeswax, etc. So like beeswax candles, honey, and like high-end tea. That was kind of the vibe. Um, and I just basically got to the point where like I was selling stuff and making a little bit of money and the economy tanked. My choice was basically like 
go into debt to like keep the thing running through the recession, the Great Recession, or uh, reevaluate. And so at that point, I did take another paycheck for about a year before the economy really took a dump. Um, and that's when I went to some, uh, I did some field trips or whatever out to Woodinville. Um, had some really great experiences with, um, like over at DeLille, was just amazed by those lines oh. and the vibe. Um, the vibe now is like so much more elevated than it was even then, but they were like the elevated experience game back then, and yeah. so I appreciated that. And then on the flip side of that, I went over to Mark Ryan, and Mark McNeely, the owner, was pouring, and he's just down to earth, huge monster of a dude, big heart, big personality, mm -hmm. really nice guy. And so I connected with him, I tried to work with him, uh, but his team was full. And so it just happened to be that Chris Gorman from Gorman Winery was standing behind me and he was like, yo, I'll hire you. And so I like, I kind of got lucky at that point. I mean, this period of me getting into wine is rapid fire, me being in the right place, the right mm -hmm. time, asking the right questions, mm -hmm. talking mm -hmm. to the right people. Mm -hmm. The Lil, man, um, God damn, they make good wine. That white wine, their white wine there. The Chaleur Blanc. The Chaleur Blanc. Yeah. I mean, they're all good, but, but yeah. that, that one is stuck because I, I don't, it's one of those things you ever realize, wow, wow. I like white Bordeaux. I like, I like barrel fermented Sauvignon Blanc. Yeah. Realize it. It's super optimal. Yeah. Um, that's a good word. Super It's a sexy wine. It's that's, sexy for sure. It really is. <laughs> and then I think some, and their reds are just as, they're, like I said, they're just, they're beautiful wines. Um, yeah, Jason and his team over there are kicking butt. Um, didn't you do, when did you, didn't you do some, and, and for people who don't know, because I have a full swath of listeners um, talk about Woodenville and the importance in the, in the Washington wine you got scene. It. So, yeah. like, it kind of originated by like a couple of really large players setting up just outside of Seattle in farm country. There was more space for them to do their relatively large operations: Saint Michel, Columbia Winery, even Red Hook Brewery. They set up there. They kind of create a cluster where people from the city can go and get drunk and have a great time like out in the country and then go home and that has just grown like wildfire. Yeah, it's like, it's basically, Woodenville's like the Napa Valley of Washington State, right? It's like, just outside the city, when, I'm, when I talk about proximity. Yeah, I mean, like, it, well, oof, man, Napa's not that close to San Francisco, but um, yeah. It's even it closer, is, it's, it's even closer. Oh, it's only like half hour in traffic, maybe it's a, yeah. like 45 minutes yeah. to an hour yeah. these days, yeah. but yeah, half hour to an hour, you're in Woodenville, you're all good. But it's that vibe. People from the city want to go. They want to taste wine. Taste, taste wine. Cola. They want to see something pretty. Yeah. So they go out on the weekends. They get out of the city. There's some space. It's bucolic. It's like farm country. At least my memory. It's changed a lot since I worked there. Um, that was kind of the beginning. Like uh, there was this first wave where these like young garagistes who were like just trying to figure it out. They would get into it and um, just make wine. And now the game has like stepped up so many times and there are, I don't even know. There's got to be 200. Yeah, it's, it's, I, mean, there. I mean, it's, it's, but I think that's everywhere. I mean, I think that that's something that happened in the nineties and, and the, for the business yeah. in the United States. Yeah, for sure. Like, like it happened in Santa Barbara. It happened in Paso Robles. I mean, it's just like, like Walla Walla went from being like right. onions and wheat to, to wine. Yeah. You know, so stupid, crazy. Um, did you, you, uh, you did do some time in Napa, though, right? You did, you I did. I worked in 2013. Oh, okay. I worked uh, for so, Palmeyer. Okay, so let's back up there. That's a big gap. So, like, 2010 to 2013, you're working I with Gorman? School, yeah. Oh, you went to school? In between. Um, so, Gorman <coughs> uh, and that whole crew, that gave me my introduction. I met their 
sort of collective enologist. All these guys kind of work with this one gal who had a PhD from UC Davis, Erica Orr. She's, she's great, she knows her stuff. I asked her some questions and the, <laughs> she says to me, if I could do it all over again, I'd probably choose this program in Europe. Okay. And so I looked into it and the deadline to apply was like three weeks later. And so I got everything together as quickly as I could. I got an extension, I, got a, I applied and I got in. And so I went to Europe to study enology and viticulture. Where'd you go in Europe specifically? So the program is an EU funded program based in France. Okay. So we, were, uh, we started out in Montpellier. Um, so I spent about a semester and a half in Montpellier working with, I mean, the cool thing about this program is professors who are at the height of their game throughout the world mm -hmm. would come mm -hmm. to Montpellier to teach us, uh, do these little modules. So they'd come for like a week or two and teach us about viticulture or even like wine marketing or whatnot. And so that was, it. honestly, I didn't even know how amazing that was when it was happening. You right. know what I mean? Yep. It was in retrospect, it's like it was an incredible experience. Um, but we got to do field trips all over France. We went to the Douro in, in Portugal. Uh, we went up, we did about a half a semester in Bordeaux with those professors. Um, yeah. Who were some of the professors you learned under? Drop some names, bro. Drop some names. Uh, Keith Van Leeuwen, uh, he uh, happens to be, I don't know if he still is, but he was the technical director, the director of viticulture for Cheval Blanc. <laughs> <laughs> Not bad. Not bad. I heard of it. Uh, professor Bussico, he was a professor who uh, you probably heard about it when, like, I don't even remember when this was, but like late 90s, early 2000s. Chile thought they were growing Merlot and they were he selling Carmenere. Merlot. And it turns out it was Carmenere. He was that guy who... He, he was the professor who kind of nailed it down and proved the point. Wow. Um, wow. Uh, Alain Carboneau, he's probably less well-known, not like flashy-wise, but in terms of just volumes of really high-quality research, he's like the man. He's since retired. Um, uh, Alain Wazong, uh, he was our, our sensory professor. He's got a uh, chateau there in, in the Languedoc. He's amazing. Mm. Um, yeah, it kind of goes on and on. There were a lot of really, really amazing professors. I think, even for me, who's been around this for a while, like we, we know Davis, we know Cal Poly, great schools, amazing friends. But I think there's a, there's this myth that like, like in Europe, it's just your family made wine. And, and even if your family does make wine, they still send their kids to school to learn about like, they after do. a certain like, yeah. So when I'm hearing this, I'm like, yeah, you know, this makes sense, but maybe it's, maybe it's the American to me, like, yeah, we have the, the wine schools, they don't have them, yeah, I mean, but, like, this is sick with you, like, these are, like, like you said, people are at the top of the game, we're going to the best chateau, yeah. who, who, who have shaped the wine world that the average person hasn't heard of. Yeah, uh, absolutely, I mean, and then, like, the next generation, like, my classmates, two of them have their MWs now, so, like, mm. it... It really was. Uh, it really was amazing. Um, how long? It was interesting going back to something that we were talking about before. How like my dad, soft hands, no skills. Your dad, cow hands, yeah, yeah, uh -huh. yep. uh, and lots of skills. The Europeans were like fleeing the wineries because that's what their parents did, yeah. and they were struggling. <clears throat> yeah. You know, and now with better marketing and sort of the world of wine is opening up bigger than it ever has. They're going back. So they may have gotten their MBA and lived in Paris or whatever. Now they're going back and running the Chateau. Well, you know what's interesting? Um, a couple of things. Like, just digress on me. Like, I know how to do so much shit, but I don't, like, like literally, like, and, like, my wife, I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I'm like, why? Because you don't understand. 
My dad was a perfectionist. I can't just okay. bullshit this shit. If, if I'm going to do this, then, then it's, I'm going to be here trying to get it perfect at level. Yeah. I'm there's not going to think it's perfect. There's no, yeah, there is. When you're, when you're, my dad says. When you're eight years old, you're holding the fucking chalk line. Right. And you're sweating. He's holding us down. What's wrong with you? Yeah, kind of, kind of, you know. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so, I, you know, I've heard stories um, like... So like in the new Burgundy, right? Like so like now their kids have the MBAs and like yeah. like their parents were like true vineyards, but like now these guys are like in fucking rare Rolexes and Porsches because the MBA and then prices have gone up like like oh we don't want to sell wine because you can get so much for Burgundy now they're they're like rock star totally business people absolutely yeah um, which is just interesting it's come full circle yeah I mean um, one of the places that I worked at I don't want to jump ahead no pre rot yeah and the interesting timeline, relatively short timeline, uh, recent timeline of, of Priorat. Uh, obviously it has a very long timeline in terms of historical, but like they were running into issues selling their wines because nobody knew Priorat, everyone was focused on Bordeaux, Napa. Their Priorat wines are 16, 50% high in alcohol, people didn't understand them. Yeah, and I, I mean maybe without like, uh, I would say quality wise they've also improved oh, greatly oh. over the last like 20, 30 years. Well, doesn't every region I would hope? Yeah, absolutely. Well. Yeah, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Something maybe we can get into later. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, the, uh, with Priorat, though, they were struggling, and that's why you have things like Cabernet Sauvignon planted in Spain, where there's no reason for Cab to grow, except they wanted a bankable international variety. Well, I mean, see, now you've opened the Pandora's box. Oh, okay, no. Because should Cabernet actually be planted in Napa? Should it be Sangiovese? Should it be more Zinfandel? Every time I fucking go and have... Tariga in Bordeaux. Tar yeah, I mean, well, that's climate change. Yes, okay, so you're not talking climate change. No, I'm not talking okay. climate change. I'm talking Judgment of Paris, <laughs> California Cabernet. Rip, rip up all the Petit Syrah. Rip up all the Phil Blends. Yeah. Rip up all the Sangia. I know, that's that, that people brought over yeah. and plant Cabernet. Every time I've, I've, been, I've been on this Napa Valley Zinfandel cake the past... Nice. I drink a lot of Zen in the summer because it's so good like for barbecue. Tegan, Zen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh my fuck. How good is. And no shit on Dragon but I'm like, how fucking good. Like, because there's so little left in Napa. Like, yeah. when you get some Napa Zen, you're like, like, I'm glad people have the balls not to really so like. So, do you know? Because actually, you bring it up, now I'm curious. Uh, I would drive by Zinfandel planting when I worked down there, and I was wondering the other day if any of that stuff is still left. I know that. Um, Oh, man, what's the guy's name whose dad used to run Ravenswood? Uh, um, Morgan. Morgan. Morgan Twain Peterson. Peterson. Yeah, yeah. He's got the, him and like Tegan Pasalacuay yeah. and like a few other guys are trying to save these old vines. Yes. Yeah. But honestly, good luck in Napa. You might be able to, you're better off in like Lodi and the Sierra. Yeah, Lodi is going to be good because they got, you know, the Lamb of Sheep teams bought up a lot of stuff, fortunately, yeah. you know. Um, but yeah, no, um, I had like a Morsely's in, you know, fucking, you get some, 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 uh, some Zen out of Old Crane. Dave Finney's bought some. Dave Finney's actually done a, done a good job of investing all his, he's another guy who knows how to build brands, but he's bought a lot of old vineyards and oh, Zen yeah. stuff and, and you know, preserve, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't, he doesn't know it. He knows a thing or two. Yeah, he, yeah, he, he's a beast. <laughs> totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, when you come across it, I mean, I think Sonoma's done better, but like, Every time I'm like, I'm like, fuck. Every time I drink like an old vines and I'm like, this is so good. It's such underrated red wine. Yeah. And I've had old Zins. People don't get, the older it gets, it tastes like old Bordeaux. Yeah. Actually. Yeah. 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 Like Absolutely. the structure, the acidity. Um, anyway, so 
Zimmendale's fascinating. I almost worked with Tegan at Turley. Uh-huh. Uh, that was probably 2012. Uh-huh. I spent a day with him running through the Sierra foothills. That was a crash course in old times. And he's a smart dude. That dude is, um, I did an IG live with him. I want to get him on, but like, he is an encyclopedia. Like, I know you don't do a lot of social media, but he has one of the best Instagrams for just like knowledge. Like, he gets these books like from the 1800s of California viticulture. Oh, wow. it, it's insane. Okay. Yeah. Like, like, I should follow. Him. Yeah, you should. Why? Why you should grow this? You know. Uh, you know. Um, uh, but um, yeah. So then people did like start planting Cabernet Sauvignon because it is it's the most bankable, pop bankable red wine in the world. <clears throat> you know, everybody, Still. everybody, yeah, everybody knows Cabernet Sauvignon. So you know. Yeah. Um, but um, so you went to school. You had these amazing experiences with these world-changing, life-changing professors. Uh, where'd you go next? Did you come back to states? Or you spend more time in Europe? So to yeah, I'll unpack that a little bit. It's like so we spent our first two semesters were in France, and then because it was an EU-funded program, you had to leave France. So you'd go to uh, at the time, I think since it's gone more international, but you could go to Italy, Spain, Portugal, okay. uh, Germany. Um, and originally, I was going to go to Geisenheim, which is like. Um, just a very, very top-notch educational institution. They tend to be, well, they're German, right? So yeah. you can kind of, it's like precision, yeah. just really tight work, and they do they do great things, um, yeah. doing a lot of amazing research. Um, and however, <laughs> I was married going into the program yeah. and living in France without my wife, and I wanted to stay married, and she yeah, made it pretty a, clear, yeah, yeah. like, I don't want to live in Germany, I'm coming to live with you for your third semester because it's, it's either because we're married or we're done because yeah, we're married <laughs> because that's gotta yeah. we, both, we both wanted to make it work <laughs> and so we, we lived in Lisbon uh, I lived there for about six months she joined for about three months and um, another amazing city another amazing experience yeah. that was semester three and then semester four I came back to Washington to do my thesis work here uh, locally at home okay very cool sick aromatics um I like your taste in the glass. It's a very nice glass. Good weight. Yeah, they're you know, they're light. They're light. You know, they're but I like, yeah, they're exactly. That's, that's I can put them in these like in strangers' hands. Yeah, like exactly. Right. Yeah, like, right. Yeah, yeah, dude. You, you can look at a Zalto wrong. You can think I've about. I've done it. You can think about a Zalto breaking. And go, You're right. <laughs> so I like the. I, I love a good lightweight glass, but it seems pretty durable. Um, that's thirty percent new French oak, just for what it's worth, mm-hmm. and a little bit of skin contact, a little bit of sort of hyperox. In the very beginning, mm-hmm. um, and then I got that. I was like, mm. about eighteen months in wood, and it was bottled in March. So it's still kind of a baby. I think it's really unraveling uh, as it's uh, getting some more time. That's uh, it's delicious, and I'm sure it's going to continue to be delicious. Um, and this is Weather Eye Fruit, like you said. Weather Eye, very nice. Yeah, super awesome project. What we got a Syrah. I busted out a, the closest thing I've got to a Grenache right now since I know you're a fan. This I is my fan. pre-run blend. Oh, okay. All right. Um, I would go, we could go here to here. Or yeah, here to I here. think we probably, should, I think, I don't know how you're Ciroc. I don't know how you they're, tell they're, me. They're, it's not going to matter Six either. Six and a half, so yeah. where you, you want to go Grenache? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's go. Cab, Syrah, sorry, in descending order, it's, ca- it's Grenache, Cabernet, Syrah. Okay, and this is also... Uh, not weather eye. Not weather eye, okay. This is a rare departure from my sort of single vineyard approach. Um, and this is uh, three different vineyards, but more importantly, the, the 
Syrah portion comes from the rocks. Okay. And I think there is this like nice earthy bass note. Uh, even though the rocks portion is only 16%, it really shines. No, the rocks is very distinctive. Super distinctive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. it is. It's a similar. I have to be careful. You have to be careful blending it because it can take over a blend really quickly. Totally. And I love that. This is your ode to Pirox Garnaca. Yeah, I put it in the Spanish spelling uh, because sort of a shout out to when I was in Priorat. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, that is a super interesting place. If, um, if anybody's ever spent any time in Spain, um, everyone knows Spanish, but then you've got like Catalan, you know, like they don't really like speaking Spanish in Catalonia. Yeah. They're right. kind of hostile towards yeah. Madrid, you know what I mean? Yeah. So figuring out all these like local, super regional, go up to Basque country, I mean, they're fierce. They're kind of remind me of like Irish because I'm like, like, my DNA is Irish. Mm -hmm. um, they're just really fiercely independent and they might blow some shit up every now and then. Yeah, no, people, we forget. We forget, I mean, like these, these, these countries in Europe were all city-states or, you know, yeah, provinces. Exactly. You know, uh, that were pushed together by international, you know. Just the reorganizations after, like, yeah. the World War. It's like, yeah. ah, let's yeah. just smush Italy right. together into, like, one country. Right. And, 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 you know, it, it, they don't fuck around like that to this day still, man. No. You they're, try and tell a Sicilian what to do or a, or a Sardinian, you know. I mean, it, is, um, it was lost on me as an American going to Europe. Um, but one of the things that I realized there, a lot of people give a shit for never going anywhere, never traveling. Right. But when you can get from Paris to Stockholm to Lisbon on a train or on a cheap-ass flight, that's what's so it's dope. sort of unfair. You can get to all these cultures, whereas if you go from Miami to Seattle, it's like going from Paris to Moscow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. No, dude, it, it is so... Europe is so dope like that because, like I said, like, most shit is a train ride away. Um, and shit is cheap. Like, like yeah. you know, Ryanair, you can fly over all over fucking Europe for like yeah. $99. That's right on track your yeah. Yeah. That's how they get you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, have you flown recently, man? No. <laughs> fucking, it's been like four or five years. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, like, shit, like, these, these bargain like, Spirit, like, oh, they try, dude, you can't even have a carry, you gotta pay for a yeah. carry on that. Yeah. Bro. It's all kind of gone that way. Yeah, yeah. And, and then like, okay, you know, um, I, anyway. Yeah, I, anything. You're wearing a hat, that's five bucks. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> on Spirit, it really is. Spirit Frontier, it's like, it's like. Uh, Sponsored by Spirit Airlines. Exactly, I know. <laughs> Fuck you, Spirit Airlines. But it, I've never been, I, one time I had to go down to Florida and I was like, yeah, I'm just going to chill. I was like, this is, I, I was like, all right. I was going my, I'm going for like, basically like 36 hours. I can go with a backpack, right? And I didn't, not that I want to wear it, but like, Water was like five dollars on the plate. Oh. Like they charge for. There's no complimentary cup of water. It's like we sell a bottle of water. It's five dollars a bottle. It's like, Can I get something? Yeah. I was like, That'll <laughs> <laughs> be five Sorry, bucks, bro. CPR is yeah, yeah, seventy bucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like. Yeah. Um, but no, Europe is, like you said, and 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 it's completely different cultures, right? Radically different. Um, I mean, next door to each other. Right. So. Um, are we at Priorat yet, or are we, where are we at? Where are we at in your dream? Uh, so Lisbon, we, went, we went Montpellier, Bordeaux, Priorat, Lisbon, back home. Okay. And then to Nap after that. All right. Um, how'd you end up at Palmyra? Because I had, I've had Cleo Palmyra on the podcast. She, she was just kind of taken over. I think uh, so Jason Palmyra is, all the stories are true. He's a total character, 
Um, and uh, Cleo was like just had a baby, so this is again yeah. like a while ago for yeah. everything. They had, hadn't been purchased by Gallo. Yeah. Um, I was really excited to see that they kept the Wayf Wayf Wayfair project. Yeah, yeah, that's her baby. Yep, yep, totally. Yep. Um, so good for them. And um, so I don't know. I'd have to think. Like I, I think I was gonna take a job at um, Marcuson. They wanted me to work night shift. Of course they so did. So I said no. You see, I, I had, I had a, a friend who worked for a, who worked for a, 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 a iconic producer on the Central Coast. And uh, yeah, that was his gig. It was a night shift. Night shift, man. I just, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, he was like, he was like 11 to 6, like watching their shit. Yeah. Yeah. It's not my thing. Yeah. I, I didn't, uh, I guess, I, I don't know if it was pride, but simultaneously. You're also married, dude. You can't be like. Well, I had a lot of, we didn't have kids back then. Okay. So my my wife was kind of like, you got to go and do this. Then yeah. go. She's been super supportive. It still is super supportive. She's always maybe egging me on as opposed to like, and I'm like, wait, 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 we got to rethink this. Um, but the seller master, whoever she did, she was like, I don't even know what my title is here, but like, I gotta tell you, if you come here, you know, you know what you're getting into. And so that was sort of my introduction to the Turley universe, the Hello Helen Turley right, universe. Right. And so um, I took this other gig working for Paul Meyer, I uh, worked under uh, Kale Anderson, super awesome winemaker, great guy. Yeah, Kale, Kale, I owe Kale a podcast. Hell yeah, he would be. He's super smart. Yeah, he's no, I met him super at hospice. Yeah, unbelievable. <clears throat> uh, so I didn't, you know. So that, that's good. So you know, Kale. See, it's a small world. It's a small wine world. This so, is this is pretty delicious. Thank you. Yeah, getting that yeah. red fruit, but then you're, you're getting that, that earthiness. You're getting that, and you're getting that that iodiney kind of blood thing of it. Yeah, <clears throat> out of rocks. rocks. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. This is a young wine for me to release. I. Um, Dylan is undergoing some good problems, you know, like supply chain stuff, trying to like catch up from not making enough wine, mm -hmm. not anticipating various sales trends. We're kind of known for Chardonnay, so we're sold out of Chardonnay right now, otherwise I'd be pouring you one. Um, so this one, I had to... Uh, Chardonnay! You like Chardonnay? <laughs> not as much as your dad. Some hate Chardonnay. Not much your dad, but no doubt. I do enjoy Nobody. it. I do enjoy a good Chardonnay. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, everybody has an opinion about Chardonnay. You know, something like Grenache, you're going to run into that, like, I don't know a lot about Grenache or something like right. that. Everybody has a very firm opinion yeah. about Chardonnay. And so we have to kind of break down those walls and re-educate people. You know what shitty cheap Chardonnay tastes Absolutely. like. Absolutely. So don't hold that against our Chardonnay. Chardonnay, give it a shot. Yeah. And uh, it seems to work. Um, where do you get your Chardonnay fruit from? A few different places. Uh, we actually have a rock Chardonnay. Shut the fuck up. Which I could probably dig one out of the back. We're sold out, but I've got a weird uh, uh, one with a crooked label on it. Um, really, really, uh, not weird. <laughs> My wines are weird, people. Um, it is a very unusual spin on Chardonnay. It's, it's got a lot of the markers of Chardonnay, but then it's got a lot of the markers of the rocks. Mm -hmm. So it has like this sort of lush, full body. It's got that earthiness. It's got a bit of that sort of charcuterie savoriness, mm. um, but then all these overt aromatics that I don't normally associate with Chardonnay. More of the overtness from Chardonnay comes from like structure, body. If you're going to play up butter, if that's your style, or if you're going to play up oak, those those are the like that's the normal universe. This is a, a totally different uh, ballgame. Yeah, you know, since you can't sell, I'll, I'll take it off your hands. I, that's I'm fascinated by that, man. Because <laughs> <clears throat> you're bringing it to dinner. 
I never, I never heard about this rock show. There's only an acre planted. Not that the rocks is a big growing region. I, but, but yeah, that's even. But like, going back to what we said, like, is it like that's an acre that could be Ciroc, Grenache, Mauvais, or something? You know what I mean? Cabernet Sauvignon. Cabernet Sauvignon. Stop. Way more bankable. Exactly. Yeah. Than, than a shark. I mean, I, that's fascinating. Um, um, yeah. So you know, for that, let's, let's let's talk about because you did work at Paul Meyer. Now Paul Meyer. I'm in town for celebrating Merlot. Paul Merlot was always one of my favorite. Yeah, Paul Merlot Chardonnay. Yeah, the Chardonnay too. Yeah, all the Paul. I mean, yeah. So here's a guy who did so much studying in Europe, and then you're like, and you did various regions, but you said Bordeaux, you said Priorat, yeah, you were in Portugal, Douro, um, like, and so. Was the intention so Marcuson is just Pinot Noir and Chardonnay? Was the intention to learn about Burgundy varietals? Or, or? That was not part of it. Although um, my Chardonnay journey, really my white wine journey, began with a Kongsgard Chardonnay that I was tasting in the program in Europe. So we had this tasting group. We would buy wines from all over and just break them down as best we could as students, and we got really, really good at tasting together. Um, Kongsgard Chardonnay was the first white wine that I had. At the time, I suffered from a bias that a lot of people suffer from, is that white wines can't be as good as red wines. Oh, well, that's still, yeah. And I mean, it's unbelievably untrue. I, you know? I, I sometimes say, when I'm banged up drinking during review, no, I'm, not, I'm just joking, we talked about it in the car. But um, I, people don't understand, and, I, and I've seen this with a lot of people I know who've been in the business for years, end up drinking more white wine, yeah, GG, Rieslings, and what, because white wines are actually more complex than red because they don't, there's the nuance it takes to break it down. And then once yeah. you start, you know, start dissecting, you're like, holy shit, right? Like, yeah. whereas red wine, I love, I mean, complex, but there, there's so much more, it's easier to identify what's going on, I think, in a, yeah. lot, of, in a lot of red wine, particularly those that are commercially viable, like, <laughs> yeah, uh, it's like, uh, I don't know, maybe a good, uh, a good example of what you're saying is like it's like a red wine is like a symphony and a, and a white wine is more like a quartet like it's just a different vibe altogether. Oh, I love that. So if you want to pick out all the various little pieces of a white wine they're more visible maybe I don't know yeah. maybe that's a crappy. No I think it's reversed I think I th what you said if I'm hearing what you said correctly that a white wine is like it's more complex a quartet red wine like okay we have we have our earthiness. We have our maybe you're right. Tannin. Yeah, because like tannins, like yeah, big, big boom, big, big boom. Yeah. yeah. So all right. Uh, whereas, whereas, like, you, because I love music. They're like, wait, is that an oboe? Like, I mean, like, yeah, like, yeah. like, like, it's like, but you can hear it. You can hear it. You like, can, yeah. Like, you're like, you know. Whereas red wine's like needs more cowbell. Like, oak is a cowbell. <laughs> right? Needs more cowbell. Right? Um, we'll get some feedback on that. I'm sure. Well, yeah, we need some cowbell. Yeah. Um, so, like you're saying, um, so your white wine journey, like, oh, yeah. a lot of people. Uh, Kongsgard, I mean, it's uh, it's a pretty big Chardonnay, the judge. It is it is monumental. It's delicious. It just blew my mind, literally. Uh, it wasn't until a few years later. I mean, at the time, I was like, I'm a student, right? So yeah. I'm like, I'm going to make that, or I'm going to try to figure out right. what the hell they did, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to figure it out. And so a couple years later, at that point, that was like 2010 or 11, by 2014, I was putting that plan into action with fruit that I had bought for Dylan, mm -hmm. um, and... So yeah, the white wine journey began there, um, but it wasn't, 
it wasn't necessarily going to be exclusively Chardonnay or say Pinot Noir. Okay. Um, because I was based in Washington State. Yeah. Uh, it has a. <laughs> there's yeah, Pinot in Washington is complicated. Some of them aren't very, uh, say, typical, uh, varietal, varietally typical. But um, I think there's something to be said for Washington State Chardonnay for sure. Obviously. No, I mean I've there. I've had some um, from you know that Todd's made and. Mm. They're pretty French fun. Creek. French Creek. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and then I had that weird one. He did the, 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 the black label one, which I'll tell them we're doing, but, but that one was like kind of like backwards on purpose. Uh, I think actually that the style of that, so I'm going to say again, I started doing this in 14, yeah. so which is a little earlier, but the, the style, I think, if I understand what he did with that wine, it's very similar to what I do, which is also similar to what John Kongsgaard does, which is very similar to what they used to do, the old school. Exactly. Yeah, like, right, right, exactly. So, yeah, it's like black Chardonnay. Yes. That's one of the ways people refer to it. I don't normally refer to it that way, but I think it's been popularized by calling it black Chardonnay. It's okay. Black it wine be, guy, black it Chardonnay. It can be black Chardonnay. No. <laughs> Although, although I got a lawsuit here, I got to cash in on this black Chardonnay <laughs> shit. <laughs> License it. Yeah. Um, um, the Cons garlic like said it's interesting, like, you know, that he created John Cons, it was Newton Unfiltered, like that was like a breakthrough. Big time. That was breakthrough yes, Chardonnay. Yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, um, uh, Levy Dalton does a great interview with John about his whole entire life on that yeah. other podcast. Yeah. And it's no, Levy, I love. I mean, Levy does something. I, I do does something completely different from what I do. Like, you know. Like, oh yeah, it's it's hard. And it's a great it's a great podcast. Yeah, if, if you're into that thing, you know. <laughs> Shit. You're people who. I know. <laughs> I'm bring up, you bring up other wineries. I'm bringing up other podcasts. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't listen. That's what we do. Listen. This is a real. You're fine, Mark. This is like 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 I know like. like no, 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 no. Listen. <laughs> Um, no, I mean, um, I mean, and the, I mean, that guy's got like over 500 podcasts. That shit's insane. He's not putting out any. It seems I know, he's really slowed down. Like two in the past. He's slowed down. I mean, because like the podcasting is a tough gig. Yeah, exactly. You um, know, and he was, he was thankless for a long time. Yeah, and he, I mean, I mean, he, anyway, he's had some rants on social media. Right yes. Now, where he's been like, <laughs> pay me people. Yeah, he's like, stop <laughs> asking me fucking questions. <laughs> I'm living on the same fucking couch. Yeah, that, that was a great rant. He's like, like, people are like, why are you living in this tiniest apartment? Because I'm doing this and I put like hundreds of thousands of hours of content on it. And it's, yeah. and it's true. No, I, I mean, I, not, I mean, people slip, people slip into my DMs. I'm like, bro, fuck, like, I have this number you could call where I charge 10 bucks a minute. Don't fucking just slide into my shit. <laughs> yeah, like, right. you, you slide into Jeb's, Jeb ain't responding sure, to your DMs. No way. Uh-uh. Are you probably, you probably can't even DM Jeb, right? No. So, don't be like, oh, dude, what do you think of this fucking wine? I'm like, uh, I'm like, I was really cool in a while, but sometimes you're like, then no. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, here's my <laughs> Great question. Um, my and that's why, if the sound's a little off, because I'm doing this shit because I love this shit and I love meeting great people like Mark, you know? And, and you know, and that's just kind of the deal. Uh, and uh, illuminating the light on people who are in this business. Um, so, that's really interesting. I, I had no idea, and that's what I love. I, I didn't know that like they, like you're known for your Chardonnay in this area. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, so to be real, like Dylan is very unknown in a lot of ways, yeah. and we're just starting out, and I'm under the radar, and I don't seek publicity, etc. This is great, um, but as far as Dylan goes, people love the Chardonnay. Mm-hmm. And you asked where I get the fruit. Typically, it's more from like a higher elevation for Washington State. I tend to go for 
um, sites where the vines are going to struggle a little bit more, um, where they're going to get some exposure, might build up a little bit of a thicker skin because that plays to the style. Um, but then sort of flipping that script is the rocks, which is low, yeah. and just a totally different animal. This is great. Good spice. It's a very, it's a very, uh, again, I think your, your wines are very, um, they're, uh, they're beautiful, wreathful, they're elegant, but they still, you know, they say anything like, mm, I still got a little, mm, 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 that's, yeah, I appreciate that. Still got a little, mm, mm, mm. That's kind of what I'm going for, is yeah. to have the, mm, mm, mm. yeah. <laughs> I, oh, 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 it was Greg Brewer, I had Greg Brewer on. <laughs> he had, he had this oh, yeah. Yeah. Diatom? Diatom, yeah. yeah. And, I, and I literally said that one, I was like, I said, you know, I said, this is one of those wines, like, you know, you, you're like, you're with that girl, right, and you're like, Country out, and then, then, then you get a nigga like, damn, I even had all that. Oh, like, like, takes I off the glasses. Yeah, you're like, you're like, the, <laughs> like the down her hair. Exactly. Like, oh, yeah, it's like love wines like that. You're like, this is good. Oh, I didn't know you were working with that. Why are you with me? Yeah, exactly. These wines kind of have a little bit of that. That's you know, so this is like with my wife. Yeah, why are you with me? <laughs> is it every man with who like <laughs> you hope right? I, I mean, mean, every working man. <laughs> yeah, working above my pay grade. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, so speaking of you, you mentioned earlier about your wife, like she really kind of pushed you for it and you have kids and like, how has it been, um, growing, uh, like, like you, you, you have a winery and we're in your facility, like, like you're in Washington state, you know, and you know, you got great neighbors and you're getting great fruit, but like, you got a family too. How's it, how's that? Like, how's that work, bro? Yeah. So throw all that and a pandemic in the mix, and it's been an interesting yeah. five, you know, interesting minute, let's just say. Um, the, I, yeah, it's, it's shucking and jiving. You know, I, I have to look at my original vision for what Dylan would be, and then we've been in a process of simplification, not necessarily on the winemaking side, but on uh, branding and packaging and all of these things that I was going to dial up to like the nth degree um, and brought them down just to more of like a simple, elegant way, which I think pairs well with the wines. Um, sort of a long-winded answer, but it's been a challenge. I don't really have a lot of free time. That's why I'm not doing social media, et cetera. Yeah. Well, what was your original vision? Uh, the original, <sighs> yeah, so. Because like, here's the deal. Man. Yeah. Like plans are, I'm not the biggest planner, and I, I just work so much. Like I'm like I don't need a plan because the plan's gonna go to shit anyway. So let yeah. me just figure out right. But 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 like to, I think to do something like this, like like when I started, I have a vision of where I want to go. So but like what was your vision? Because you you said some really profound things about other things you've done. You're about helping people, about making a contribution. Um, uh, I think inside. Uh, undertone that I heard there's community involved um, kind of what was the vision when you set out to do good thing? yeah uh, the community aspects I think have evolved as I've sort of unpacked that you know I think in the beginning it was more of like me hiking up Everest and or me and my wife let's say or mm -hmm. she pushing me from behind um, we had kids it got more challenging we've moved a couple times opening a opening and running a small winery in a taste room trying to find personnel it's been super challenging. So the original vision was going to be just be more like, um, there's a producer, Sammy Odie, or even what uh, oh, yeah, Sammy Todd Odie. and Carrie yeah. have done with uh, Pasha. Yeah. There is just this incredibly sort of bespoke, or I mean, Manfred, Manfred Crankle, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So 
So it's like, those were the inspirations because I wanted the creativity to permeate everything. Mm -hmm. um, and what I've had to do is focus on keeping the creativity in the wines mm -hmm. and then just simplifying the packaging and just some of the details so that I can actually run this and make it work. Right. Um, and it's getting easier as I get you know, more familiar with doing certain things or bring on good staff. Um, but that's, <clears throat> that's kind of the, that's the vibe. Any, any, any entrepreneur out there knows that it is, uh, it can be a total pain in the butt sometimes. And you can also be your own worst boss, you know what I mean? So um, just trying to like, the past couple of years after the pandemic or as the pandemic has subsided, it's been about breathing life and fun back into it rather than just kind of like getting, struggling to stay getting through yeah, yeah, it, yeah, you yeah, know? Yeah. So, so yeah, struggling. Let's, let's back up. So when did, when, did, when, did you, when did you launch? When did you launch the Lissellers? Made the first vintage in 14, opened the taste room in 18. Okay, so um, how were you sustaining yourself? Because a lot of people like you, Todd, and most winemakers have a day job and then they start their, their wine, their side wine hustle, their, their project. What were you doing? Uh, so after some of the things that we've talked about where I was earning nothing as an intern or a seller rat or right. whatever you want to call it, um, I took a gig working in Chelan as a winemaker, uh, ran a facility there for about four years. That helped pay for, um, Dylan was really small back then, so but it helped pay those bills, mm -hmm. it did pay all those bills. And then once we opened the tasting room, the key was we weren't going to go into debt on the project. Yep. And so it's Good just key. been kind of running that razor thin line the first few years, paying, making sure that the operation pays for itself. And as you grow and fruit costs increase and barrel costs increase, and then I can just add in some more of the filigree like that big cast back there. Um, those things help me make just to elevate the game. Um, and so, so yeah, that thing's pretty awesome. Do you, having uh, your father's background and your brothers, has that helped you out in some ways? Like, did, did, like you were able to go to yeah. him like, uh, here's the spreadsheet. <laughs> you know, I wish they would just like drop everything every time I say I got an issue, but you know, they, they, they're busy. Uh, <laughs> and, but so the way my family works is uh, Dylan, the name of the winery is my mom's maiden name. Mm -hmm. Uh, Grandpa Dylan was a musician. The creativity, so the family mythology has has uh, evolved to be that Dylan is the more creative, say, empathic side of the family. Um, mm. Leahy's tend to be more like business oriented, uh, more logical. Um, they can be uh, a little nutty themselves too. But um, you kind of need both. You need like this creativity. You need to be able to like understand people, especially if you have a tasting room. And then you need to be able to know how to run a business. And so it kind of all comes together. Um, but that's sort of the genesis of the name of the winery. Well, that's, that's so super cool. Um, and so you said the first vintage was 2014. What, what, what wines did you make that year? So uh, I was a maybe a little bit more rebellious when I first started out. Um, I, I made a Merlot because everyone was like, fuck Merlot. Right. Um, and finally we're getting over that. We have Celebrate Merlot. Yep. And uh, yep. I think this is sort of the beginning of the end of that, thankfully, because Walla Walla and Washington grows uh, absolutely stunning Merlots. Mm -hmm. um, so I made a Merlot from Red Mountain, from Clipson Vineyard. Mm. Uh, picked it pretty, I picked like two weeks earlier than anybody else on that site. Um, so... As far as that vintage goes, I think my wine stands out just because it does have some of this like balance and poise that 
Red Mountain isn't known for. Uh, it, Red Mountain's usually known for like brawn heft power, um, and I was trying to explore a different side of it. Um, took that a little further with my Syrah, um, in that I think at the time, and, and anybody's welcome to call me out on this, that Clipson was the most expensive fruit in the state at the time. And I took it, and because I had my day job, I could take some risks, whole cluster ferment, everything was native yeast across Ooh. the board. Um, but a hundred percent whole cluster, native yeast, a um, little bit of an extended maceration on it. But again, picked early. Um, and so both of those wines show incredible restraint for the 2014 vintage, which was pretty warm. Um, and then the Chardonnay was kind of another uh, sort of fuck you to the people that were like, anything but Chardonnay. And then I was like, man, I'm making a hundred percent new French oak Chardonnay in a sort of Burgundian slash Congress Guardian fashion. Yep, yep, yep. And, um, I got lucky in that it all worked. Uh, so I took these risks, they worked, and then I've, I've used that to just, it was all also about expanding my winemaking knowledge. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to make wines where it's like, okay, I know I've made them like this, I've worked in this facility, I can do it over and over, cookie cutter that stuff. It was more about how am I going to be a good winemaker if I don't try all this stuff? If it doesn't work, I'm in a position where that's okay. And so uh, just kind of been building on that since. Fascinating that <clears throat> you chose that route. So when you said the picked early whole cluster native yeast um, sulfur in it, that was that like a natural thing or just the the black chardonnay? Uh, it's like I call it like death and rebirth because there's a whole resurrection cycle to the way these chardonnays get built. Right. But <clears throat> the um, the you don't sulfur that in the beginning, and so but then I judiciously apply sulfur. Um, because I like to say I do traditional method, you know, so old school Burgundy, they weren't going straight up natty because everything would have gone sideways. Their cellar was riddled with bread. Right. No, I know. I know. So, I, <laughs> you know, I want to make wines that are delicious at the end of the day and qualitatively consistent. Yeah. And so to do that, I do employ some of these measures that just put the bumpers on the, on the bowling lane, you know. I like that. Um, I like that. And nothing against these wines that have since become to be known as natural wine. Which oh, I, I, I listen. Nothing I, unnatural I, about what I'm doing. I'm very, I'm very, I'm very, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm developing a, a strong hating of people when I, because I bring this up all the time. I'm like, mm. They co-opted a word. They did. That, that's, my, that, that, that's, that's, that's my problem. And I say that all the time. I'm like, you don't understand what that word actually means. No. And, and you're, you're falling for some marketing bullshit. I'm yeah. like, nobody's saying put a bunch of chemicals you want and, and, and they always want to talk about like a $8 supermarket red blend it's full of no people are, people are making wines like traditionally yeah, yeah. Yeah. alright so you don't understand what that word means no okay no, yeah it's, it's exactly uh, that's my problem we make wines in a natural way exactly um, their wines have perhaps less <laughs> additives and also I'd like to add though I'm not a person that thinks that that a technically perfect wine is better than one that has flaws as long as everything's in balance. I, and the, but you know, here's the problem, bro. Like you can, people don't listen. People get so on their, we're so divisive on everything in this country. Yeah, right for now, sure. Right that people, you could, I preface a lot of the posts, and I do it for fun sometimes. I do it every now shits and giggles. <laughs> exactly. Um, and I'll preface it and they'll just, they won't, you can tell they didn't read the preface or, or they'll be like, I even preface one, I said, I said, before you put your stupid ass comment, this is satire. <laughs> okay. I set the whole thing up. Oh, and someone said, 
dumbass comic coming. Like they can't help. Dumb people can't help themselves. Um, this is why I stay away from social. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you, listen. This is all the social media you need. We'll, we'll work it out. We care. Jobs are easy. Yeah, son. But um, no, I, I think I, I love what you're saying. Like I think that there's so many quality people who have made quality wines traditionally um, uh, for decades, and they don't lead with this is a natural wine. They're just trying to make the best wine that they think possible that shows a sense of place, right? Yes. And like you said, so sometimes, like there's like, listen, some Rocks wines are too bloody and iodine for me, for yeah, me. But I will, ju I know that, I'm like, that tastes like where it's from and I respect that and I give props to that. Most, well, it's hard, you know, it's, 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 it's an interesting. It's about having a conversation. Like you were saying, it's not so divisive, right? So like people can make natural wines that can be sublime. Yeah. Like Travis Allen, you know him, I know him. He does a sans souffre. Exactly. It is <clears throat> a great wine. Is it gonna age for a hundred years? Who knows? Right, who knows? It's still shining bright. Yep. But um, but he doesn't go, buy my natural wine. No, no, he would never do that. No, and that, that, that becomes my issue, you know. Yeah, and like, so is as long as we're having a conversation where the, okay, so, if you have a natural wine that has all these flaws that can emanate uh, for a variety of reasons that we don't need to get into, is that really going to showcase the terroir better, or are you showcasing your sort of dogma? And that's and that's an issue. Um, speaking of issues, we did this the right way because all right. So this Syrah. It's a little darker, yeah. It's a little. It's a little darker. It's weather eye. I mean, you know, and it's not big. Hundred percent Syrah. Whole cluster fermented native yeast, no new oak. Uh, this wow. was the year of the big fires, 2020. I know, yeah, yeah. I didn't want to apply any uh, smoky oak so I could like see straight through the wine and make sure that there was no, uh, nothing impacting quality. <laughs> no, I did talk to someone the same thing about it was 2020 was out how and they were saying, oh yeah, I did a, have you ever had any of the Argo wines, Justin Harmon, Alice I've heard of them. I yeah, he, them. he makes some really good wines, but he, he decided this is 2020 and he, and he said like, First of all, in a Syrah, sometimes you do like like a common descriptor is scorched earth. Yeah. But he's like he's like but he he like you like you there are certain things in these you want to stay away because people again we talk about people's dog where their mind locks yeah. on something like like you have a twenty twenty uh, smoke tank. Yeah. No, dude, it's Syrah or barrels or barrels. I mean, they burn the barrels. Yeah, exactly. That's what it's called. What is it called? Char. Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, toast. So, so yeah, toast. <laughs> But yeah, it is. Uh, there is there is exact same chemical compounds that uh, can represent in a smoke tainted wine, uh, like Guayacal, that is uh, natively present in Syrah. It comes from smoked barrels, and so my my goal here originally, first vintage working with Weather Eye Syrah, strip it all down, really get to understand the site. I did two picks, an early mm -hmm. pick and a late pick. Mm -hmm. the first pick was 10% Viognier. This was 100% Syrah. Mm -hmm. So just trying to explore sort of the masculine and feminine feminine sides of the site, um, and then. I uh, I'm happy with both of them. No, this I, I you know I, it's there's a, there's a color I like in wines and, and that's why there's a chemical called mega purple because there's a color that is very pleasing. Oh, to I had tons of that. Yeah, sarcasm. You know, <laughs> you know, he's being funny. Yeah, yeah, yeah we're joking. <laughs> we're just talking about a sans souffre Syrah. I've come to you. can't hang out. You can't hang out with who he hangs out with if you're dumping chemicals. Um. But beautiful, blue and black fruit. It's a baby. <clears throat> yeah. Two and a half years in the cellar, it was bottled in March. I, I don't plan on releasing this for another Two and a half year. years in the cellar. And, and yeah. 
Wow. So it was that, it's that extended elevage? Why it went to? Most, I do a lot of extended elevage. I've done four and a half years in punching. Wow. I've done two and a half years on a Chardonnay. Um, I, I, I'm, ex, I'm exploring. Um, I think for the Chardonnays, I've dialed that back. It doesn't necessarily yield. Um, it yields a different result, but I don't necessarily think it's better. Um, and, but for the reds, I love being able to. So Washington State reds can be very fruit dominant. Yeah. And a lot of what I do <clears throat> is trying to frame that fruit. And one of the ways that you can help frame fruit is add something more, adding a little bit more of that cellar character that brings, amplifies the earth, gives you that sort of dusty, uh, hot brick kind of thing. And if, if I can capture non-fruit tertiary aromatics by aging it a little bit more, I'm mm. gonna take the time to get there. Dig that, I totally do that. <clears throat> so, kind of where are you at? Um, like you said, uh, pandemic, you started, so 2014, you opened this place in 2018? I did, yeah. yeah. Okay, right, and then like 20, 23 months later, it's like wah, 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 wah. Yeah, a whole bunch of things happened. Um, like, I don't know about you, but right before the pandemic, my life was already beginning to kind of rattle off the rails. Oh, my life so was busy. Oh, man, well, just, I mean, yeah, I had, I, yeah, like I had um, 2019, my mom died of cancer. Oh, it's okay, thank you. And then my sister's one of the first died of COVID. My sister died on February 28th, what? 2020. Oh, my God, man. So, like, so like my shit was like so I was like, I was like we start a podcast. <laughs> wow. Um, so, but I just think I do think this because, and I think you'll appreciate because like, you you have some esotericism in you. You know what I mean? Like with your background, yeah, like, yeah it's not weird. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think things just they're cycles, and that was just a cycle in my life. Okay. And so, yeah. So you, you were saying things were you you were having some shifts in your life. I was. Uh, I had taken on a consulting gig in 2019 um, that was going to kind of radically change a lot of things in my life, um, and um, a lot of those didn't pan out mm -hmm. even in the beginning. But uh, I, what I began to realize is I'm being stretched too thin. I can't run Dylan, grow Dylan, be a good dad. Yeah. They wanted me to do road shows and be doing all this like outward facing stuff, and it was. I was asking myself, well, like, why am I doing this? And then the pandemic hit, like two months later. And um, honestly, in the beginning it was all right because I got to spend all this time with my kids. I kind of loved all the uh, sort of reconnection, um, but it killed the consulting gig. Mm -hmm. um, so there goes, you know, paycheck down the tubes. Right. Um, so there was a lot of, a lot of change. In the end, um, I, I didn't have any uh, drastic consequences like you were just saying, nothing like that happened to me. So I was fortunate. And, um, but it was just more of just like life stop. Okay, restart. Okay, right, stop. Right, okay, restart. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it's been it's been a wild ride, but um, enjoyable for the most part. What's it like? You have two daughters, right? <clears throat> I do. I have two daughters, five and seven. Nice. Oh, so they're they're, they're babies. Yeah, they're uh, yeah. babies, but they're they hate it when I say that. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, not really. Like, you know, they're not young they're ladies. Both, yeah, no, they're like they're like you know, and and you know. Um, I, I would hope, I don't know, like you and your wife are cognizant of screen time, because the kids grow up in a different world nowadays, but kids are just more precocious anyway. Yeah. 
um, what's it like for them to see their dad? Like, do they understand? Like, I would think they kind of understand what's going on here. Like, they do. Um, one of the things, like, if I'm having a bad day, I just got to remind myself that, like, at the very least, I'm providing my girls with, like, a really interesting upbringing because they get to, like, kind of run around a winery as kids. Yep. Um, and they'll get in, and we do things like foot crushing and stuff like that from, for legitimate reasons, not just for, like, tourists or whatever. Um, my kids get in and foot crush. They don't weigh much, so it doesn't really do much. <laughs> I broke a grape, Daddy. It is... <laughs> It's amazing. Have you ever actually set foot into I've a never done a, a, a crush. You would be surprised, especially. All right. So if you if you de-stem but don't crush the berry, so okay. whole berry, yep. you can stand on top and you'll maybe sink depending on the texture of the skins, etc. How ripe it is. You bring in whole cluster and you you're not going anywhere. You got to work to mush and like gently break down the grapes. Right. That's the whole point. Um, but so my kids get in and then they're like start to complain because it's hard work. Um, <laughs> But they love coming here, running around. Um, as far as screen time goes, again, like the pandemic thing, that, that was just like, okay, like all rules are, all bets yeah. are off. I mean, yeah. um, we've been trying to rein it back since. But yeah, it is, uh, like, yeah, it's all been good on that front. Kids are great, wife is great. Um, they prop me up when, like, it just becomes a little bit more of a grind, you know? So, so here we are. 2023, like you said, we're 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 like kind of like the haze and the fog of like the past three years is kind of falling away now. Things are diff are opening back up, and it's still like I feel weird saying things are still just opening back up. I mean, you know, like if I can look at the travel situation like two weeks ago, I mean, like so we still have logistic, we still have supply chain issues all across. Um, what is um, what is what are you looking for um like so you i assume you had to pivot like so people aren't coming in where you're doing dtc where you do your mailing list shipping out to them like kind of like what's <laughs> we did do more dtc um that just sort of happened organically i was like you know my people need wine why don't i hit them up with an email and yep. so that worked but we weren't closed for Maybe I'm getting this wrong. I don't remember being closed and really bugging out because we got opened up, or at least there was hope that we were going to open soon enough. And then people were rabid for wine. Well, I mean, there's... People were drinking a lot. I, I remember, like, pa down at Paso. Paso didn't even fucking shut down. They're like, nope. Oh, okay. Like, they're like, we're not L.A. <laughs> uh, you know? We, we shut down a little bit. I don't... I mean, the restaurants got murdered. That's yeah. a whole different story. Yeah. Uh, we, we, did, we did okay, actually. I mean, we grew... Uh, we grew a lot um, mm -hmm. during the pandemic, uh, both major years of the pandemic or whatever. Um, there was a, a genuine thirst. People had expend, extra expendable income as mm -hmm. a result of all the checks and stuff that were coming in the mail. Um, so it worked out across the board. I think there's not a winery out there that didn't do really nicely during the pandemic. You know, so that was... That was Essential right. businesses. It was... Our <laughs> yeah, I got to get wine to the people. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, <clears throat> so, um, two things I like to do, um, I play a game, it's so funny, like, I play a game, it's called FMK, um, because oh. you have young daughters, F rhymes with dot. <laughs> so, well, we, my, I, I'm a, I swear all the time. Okay, so, <laughs> yeah, I'm, so, fuck, marry, kill, I'm gonna give you three grapes, I'm gonna name the three grapes, you get to fuck one, oh. marry one. 
and one okay. you kill off. Got it. All right. Uh, so um, <clears throat> we're gonna do Chardonnay, Viognier, oh. and Syrah. Oh. Yeah, and it's oh. not. It's not supposed to be fucking easy. Oh. It's man. very hard. So who you fucking who uh, you marrying? Who you kill? Dude. <clears throat> I, the first two were easy. Uh, I don't know which one to kill. Um, well, that's the one. <laughs> that's, that's the problem. Uh, um, I think simply because I've worked with, uh, I've developed a name for Chardonnay and Dylan together. I gotta, I gotta, I gotta fuck Syrah, marry Chardonnay, and kill Viognier. Oh, reluctantly killing Viognier. I know. Well, no, it's... If like, I didn't have a Chardonnay program, I would I know, no, I, that script. I, and that's... Listen, and, and you know, um, I do that... There's so, so much Chardonnay out there. Though. I know. Oh my God. Anyway, I know, right? But so, listen, that's, yeah. that's good. Okay. And then, um, man, what are you most excited about for the future? What are, For Dylan, for, for, your, for you, for your, for your family, your daughters, your wife? Fascinating question. Uh, wow. I first thing that came to my mind, um, and then you started talking about family, so now I feel obligated to talk about exciting things on that front. But if I keep it straight, just keep, wine keep related, winery. Yeah, just keep it wine. If I keep, keep it straight, wine related. Um, I've been um, there as a as a country, but certainly as a state uh, or as a growing region. Um, there's just going to be increasing pressures on on water, right? Yeah. Um, and so, having trained in Europe. Um, especially the French, they're very fond of saying that irrigation kills terroir. I know. Yeah. So, I mean, we can, that's a whole other podcast, but um, I, I believe there's some truth to that, or at least it's, it's worth exploring. And here in Walla Walla, we back up against the second mountain range where the, the way it works here in Washington State is there's all this moisture that pours in off the Pacific, it piles up against the big mountain range that's next to Seattle, squeezes out all that rain. Everybody knows that Seattle's super rainy. Then you cross over into the drier part of the state, eastern Washington, where Walla Walla is. It is really, really dry for a good stretch. Fucking high desert. But we're all the way on the far end and up against the second mountain range. These mountains get up to be a mile high, over a mile high. Um, it's a legitimate range. And so we get this second rain effect where the clouds pile up and we get more rain. In the foothills here of the Blue Mountains, I think that we need to start exploring, at least using, we could use less water. Um, you know, like in Napa, the flatland was kind of occupied first and they got up into the hills. I could see over the next 20 years that happening here and then some of the best fruit grown around here coming straight out of the Blue Mountains. With projects that I think you know about with like Force Majeure up yep. in the North Fork. Yep. Uh, there's an Echolands project there up off Mill Creek, another uh, sort of river valley here in town. Um, and so there are really exciting projects being forged there, but um, yeah, that's probably the number one thing that's probably been on my mind lately. And then just overall, just the sort of uh, elevation in quality and notoriety. I mean, we were talking about it in the car ride over here. Um, Hospice du Rhone. Yeah, Hospice coming, coming here in 2024. Yep. So yep. that is going to be that's monumental, um, and I think it, it helps to continue to put Walla Walla on the world stage. Yeah, awesome, man, awesome. Mark, thank you, man, for just pulling this shit together, man. This is dope, man, appreciate it. Awesome. Uh, tell people how they can find you, how to be a part of what you're doing here at Dylan Sellers. DylanSellers.com uh, is the website. Uh, Dylan Sellers, I think, is my Instagram handle. I'll find an Instagram and put it in for you. I think. Uh, <laughs> 
And then there's also a Facebook and uh, yeah, reach out to me at marc at dylansellers.com. You know, that's, that's how we roll. Very connection. cool. Very cool. All right, everybody, for all my listeners, uh, make sure you check the show notes for the show. That's where I'll put links to his website. I'll put his, uh, his uh, Instagram. I'll find his Facebook. Um, but the main thing, like I said, he gave his email address. Just email him. Get on the fucking mailing list. That really, yeah, because that, that he will, I, he does use email. I know how <laughs> he knows how to do that. <laughs> Until the next time, here's to all my uh, philosophers, my deep thinkers, and all the wine drinkers. It's your boy MJ. Peace. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned something. You had some fun while you were here. Please subscribe to the podcast and give us a five-star review on whatever platform you're listening to. And if you want to be an insider and get special content, make sure you go over to blackwineguy.com and get on our email list.